Welcome to the Blazing Ember podcast, where we aim to amplify the voices of Latino professionals. We, Diana and Maria, founded this podcast to explore unspoken rules and all the ships, leadership, mentorship, sponsorship, and allyship with Latino leaders. We are here to ignite your path to success with valuable insights. Bienvenidos. So welcome back, everyone. We're talking again with Ed Estrada, who blazed trails as a partner and global chair of the financial industry group, board member of nonprofit organizations, and adjunct professor at Cornell Tech. In this podcast, we're going to focus on another part of his life, the Estrada Legal Consulting work that he does, where he provides business development insights with law firms and other organizations. In the first podcast episode, Ed walked us through his path from college student to being part of global management at Reed Smith. He talked about taking smart decisions, making at least smart decisions about certain risks. And today we're going to talk about his decision to leave the practice and become a business owner, the whys about it and the many reasons that he keeps on going. So welcome back, Ed. And for those who may not have listened to the previous podcast, maybe just tell us a little bit about your current endeavor, this consulting work that you're doing. All right, great. Well, it's great to be back and great to be continuing the conversation. So the current work that I'm doing is doing management consulting work with a focus on law firms, although I currently have a corporate client as well. But as we were talking at the in the last episode, that the journey that I went on as a lawyer, but then also starting different man- management leadership roles, what I'm focusing on now were those elements of, of my daily professional life that I looked at that I really enjoyed. Like what, what gave me energy? What did I really enjoy doing? And that's, there's a lot of different ways to phrase it, but I really, I was kind of goal oriented. I liked having a pretty clear task that I needed to tackle. And I like the ability to see some finality on that. So you can say, apply to what I do. We're trying to improve our profitability. We're a law firm. We're trying to improve our profitability in our New York office. That's something tangible I can wrap my hands around. Big, big task, but it's something that something that I could see working through and achieve, achieving the goals. So when I was making the decision of leaving the law firm and, and what do I do next, I was really hoping to make it kind of like an evolution of everything that I've that I did. Right. It's a, it was scary. I talked in like the, the last episode. It was kind of scary making that jump. And for a whole bunch of reasons, I felt like it was I felt like it was a little bit risky. There were parts of me that I talked about. Like it felt a little bit selfish leaving this kind of an amazing industry and a great role. But when I looked at when I looked at how I was spending my days in those roles and what did, what did I enjoy? I needed something new. I needed like a new type of role and energy that I could apply what I've learned and help a broader, you know, array of companies and people. Yeah. So, so if I think about what you did, right, we talked up quite a bit about cliff diving, right? You're a cliff diver or a mountaineer. We can decide cliff jumping and a mountaineer as well. We used those concepts before. And you touched a little bit on kind of the fear, right? And so I'm just really quickly, and then I have a follow-up question for you. You gave up a lot of money, right? Law firm partner, part of management, I'm sure you were equity partner. I mean, that's real money. So that doesn't drive you, right? That isn't what drove you to make this decision. 
So if you can talk about that, but then my follow-up question really is today's law firm models. If you look at them, some of us, I was in-house for many years, will say the law firm model doesn't work. Why do they keep doing it that way, right? And then we'll talk a little bit about kind of the environment we're in now. So if I can ask you to talk a little bit about, gosh, I gave up all this money and then what is it about the law firm model that you think works and what is it that doesn't work and how do you add value to that? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, with the, I, I practiced for 25 years and I had a kind of an accelerated arc as a partner in terms of, I was, as a, I was an associate for nine years and then I was a partner. And when I became partner, I built up a, a book of business relatively quickly. I got into these big management roles relatively quickly. Um, I made a good salary and a very good income. Mm-hmm. When you're doing that for 25 years, and I find this with lawyers all the time, that role and that status, there's ego, there's title, there's money. There's a lot that goes, there's a lot of things that go into it. It can, and it, it can really become your identity for good or for good or for bad. So stepping away from that, there's a whole bunch of things you're stepping away from to your point. And the money is a big part of it. And mm-hmm. as I remember being out of law school and being an associate and having a good paycheck. But I, I was paycheck to paycheck for years between some of my parents' money, between trying to pay off student loans. So it's, and I know that feeling. And if you've ever felt that, mm-hmm. it never go, it, it literally never goes away and it's never gone away. And it's mm-hmm. like that feeling of what bill am I going to pay this month? And that's, as I'm saying it, I'm feeling it, right? Right. And that's part of the, like, why it felt like self, why it felt like a selfish decision to walk away, because I think my parents wanted me to accomplish a lot of things in life. I, they both passed, but I don't know that they ever had a day where they felt financially secure. And I don't know that they hopefully they'd support me no matter what, but I don't know if they could relate to the ability to walk away from a high paying job. And one of the reasons I can do I can do this is yes I got a clear vision of what I'm going to I think I can be successful I'm excited about it but I'm also you know married to an amazing woman who's a very successful lawyer as well so it's so we're both we're both trying to raise our family and provide for our kids and luckily we're at the point that one of us can take some type of cliff diving cliff jumping cliff falling type risk which kind of hopefully makes sense. And the e- we all have egos. I Stepping away from roles and power and titles, that wasn't the hardest thing in the world for me because I think that's not, that's not the end of it. There's something else out there that I'm, I'm chasing and hoping to achieve. So that's part of my life, part of my professional experience, but it's not the end of it. And now yeah. I'm do something else. So. Yeah, and if I can add, I mean, I've known you for years, right? I have never gotten from you that ego of I'm at this level and I'm, I've never gotten that from you. So I could see that, but I love the conversation around the living paycheck to paycheck because I do think some of us do that, right? And again, the concept of the parents. I mean, I remember the first year I was like, I the first two or three years, I was like, I'm paying as much in taxes as my father made, right? (laughs) Back when. But so now let me switch you over to the law firms and the model. What works and what doesn't work? So, yeah, that's so the law firm model is so incredibly antiquated, right? And it's rooted in history. This model has been going on for a few hundred years, the way it exists now. 
Think about modern, you know, modern law firms. For the last 50 years or so, where corporate America globalization has started to take root and you have these really big organizations, um, that the model itself hasn't really changed that much. It's a it's an insular profession to some extent. It's a gated profession. Obviously, you need a license to practice. There's a lot of people that are kept away from it. And then the networks that work within the legal industry are they're exclusionary as well. So, so there's a, and let me say a little bit more about that. There are you know, generations of lawyers at law firms, right? There are, and that's, that's the, those are the people that come into law firms. There are generations of relationships between law firms and clients. Right. So it's, I'm a big believer in personal and professional networks. You can be very successful before you get to law school. Once you get into law firms, in building your personal professional networks, and you can still face a lot of closed doors. So on the one hand, hand, the legal industry and law firms provide so many opportunities and avenues. And I think I'm a really good example of that. But it is still this labyrinth that you have to negotiate and find your way through so it's, I think it's not as a, a welcoming of a place as it, as it could be in terms of providing opportunity. And I mean that to the lawyers within it, but then to take a step away from that, when we think about legal issues, we think about law firms, we think about providing legal services, what's completely left out of the conversation most times are, are all the people that have no access to legal representation. And how Erica just falls behind on access to justice issues because the focus is on the the corporate side of everything. So, but it's, uh, there's a lot of issues, right? So, and diversity issues, which have not progressed as, you know, as as quickly as anyone would want. Um, A lot of the traditional metrics, like the, you know, the billable hour have been under fire for literally for decades and haven't really changed. The good thing in that, the, if you want to look back and say, okay, here's, here are all the issues. The good thing in that is that it is a traditional profession, right? And there's an academic historical value of that. And it, like it's, you know, it's one thing we can walk into our offices and do legal work for corporate clients, for individuals, and then leave. But it's a, I mean, I don't know. This is where I like the law. It provides an incredible service. To, to society. It's right. rules. It's a, it provides for a rules based society where corporations and people know the, know the laws and rules they have to comply with personally and like in the professional sense. Mm-hmm. And they rely on lawyers for the advice to navigate whatever those legal issues are. And that absolutely. Yeah. Right. I mean, and I think you're a, right. There's a section, there's a part of it that even when you're practicing in whatever space you're in, whether you're in-house or you're an associate at a law firm, you have, there's a certain level of advocacy that comes along with it. And you are putting in your voice in a larger system, a much larger system. And what you do maybe as a litigator could be game-changing in, in, in something, or even as a transactional attorney or MA, right? There's so much like change that attorney, we can be whatever, a part of. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and for, the, for those reasons, and, and maybe because there are so many gates to get there, take the LSAT, go to college, take the LSAT, go to law school, pass the bar exam, find yourself into a, find your way into a law firm. There was a pride I always had about being a lawyer. 
right? It was because you, at that point, you knew you'd accomplished a lot. And then they add on like the benefits and hopefully pro bono work and everything else, the good that can come from the profession. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tons of it. But one thing that's top of mind, and I think you'll see it in the headlines of the news is like AI, right? AI. Do you think that's going to be a, a disruptor that really changes this billable hour, especially to the, like the extent that it could make, for example, some of the more junior work uh, more efficient? It's yeah, it's it's a it is a great question. Steve Jobs has got has this great quote, which I always butcher quotes, but the people <laughs> always overestimate the amount of technological change in the in the next three years and completely underestimate its impact over the next 10 years. Mm. And I think so I think that generative AI and chat GPT and everything that people have been using. I think it's going to accelerate a process that's been going on in the legal industry for well over a decade. And that is automation and a lawyer's ability to leverage technology to become more efficient. Now, if you think back, like, you know, if, if you think back to pre copy machines, pre uh, internet, and just so back, let's go back 50 years. And you had a litigation, you had a massive amount of documents that needed to be reviewed. It was the warehouse of documents, and you're looking at hard copy documents, you're flagging them, they're going into a hot document binder, and f- forget about forget about like copy machines yet. And it's so incredibly physical. Right. Law firms generate, primarily litigation-focused law firms, they had 40 or 50% of their revenue based upon that model. So then when, co- when copiers came out, there was a question, what impact is this going to have on lawyers and law firms and their business? There was some impact, but law firms and lawyers continue. And then you like fast forward a lot and get to e-discovery. So now you have the ability to, to scan and through optical character recognition, OCR, you can then you can scan all the words, search all the words, digitize everything and it turns into a dad- digital database. So and you review those, right? And then you review that limited subset, right? So the forty percent of revenue that went out of law firms to this whole pro that you know went to the document review process, and now everything's now everything's in the hands of e-discovery vendors, often outside of law firms. Has that has that slowed down the growth of law firms, the legal industry? And the answer is just absolutely no, right? But it's been a, a dramatic change. So when you get back to generative AI, I think it's going to have a similar type impact that copiers, internet, scanning, optical character recognition had on the practice. It's going to pull away some of the repetitive, physical, high volume type work, which was already susceptible to automation and already susceptible to other methods of accomplishing it that fell outside of law firms, right? And so when you have a brand new technology that kind of leapfrogs others, and that's what generative AI and some elements of artificial intelligence does now, I think it's going to speed up all of those other existing technologies, just other software you can implement, other technology that that you can leverage. And we'll get to a point in the near future, and I don't know if that's three years or 10 years, where the practice of law will look different for primarily for associates, but for associates and partners. I don't think that we will, I don't think that we're going to see law firms going out of business or any or anything like that. 
I don't even know that we'll see slowdowns in like, the number of people, you know, going to law school in like the next five, six, seven years. What I think will happen is you're going to have a have a different approach to representation on the court from the, on the transactional side and litigation side. And if you think back to before LexisNexis, but before <laughs> online shepherding, go yes, back to yeah, go back 150 years, and you're a litigator. You are literally searching in books for one or two or three cases to support your argument, and that was it. Now briefs have 30, 40, 50, 60 cases in them. You're not worried about your opponent manually shepherdizing the case to see if the case you're citing stands for the proposition you're relying on it for. That's automatically done. So I think arguments will become hyper-technical. You're going to be able to pull data out of the information documents around you that will add new points of argument that didn't mm -hmm. exist, you know, previously. And I think these, and then, but I think that it will turn back to the law firms to say, like, why do we have these associates? Are we bringing people? <laughs> but in a good way, I think it's actually. Gonna, I really mean this in a good way. They'll look back and they'll say, why do we have these young lawyers? Are they? revenue, you know, sources of revenue for us, and that's it? Are they, is this a person we're trying to develop into the culture of our firm, teach lessons, and then become a professional? So I think it's an open questions, probably different results at, at different law firms. But I think it'll, I'm an optimist, and I think it'll get back to training people in the profession how they operate, the culture they operate within, how they interact with clients personally while they're leveraging and relying on all these new um, technological advances that are doing some of the work that their predecessors and associates did. Right. Yeah, I think it's interesting. So if you think about it, that means if you are going to law school right now, one of the things you need to think about is how the technology works and what do you do with the data, right? Because you can get a ton of data but if you don't know how to analyze it or interpret it or play with it, right, put it into a table, move it around, you you don't do as well. And I mean, that's something in the compliance space I did a lot of. We had to figure out how to standardize and use technology. To, I created platforms that were the same as third-party vendors were selling us for far less because it made things easier and faster because my team was reduced, right? So you had to figure out how to do things. And the same thing with, you know, Power BI. We used to use Power BI and you could go down and you could show people and you pulled all kinds of data. But if you don't know how to do that, I mean, I remember when I first started in compliance, people were stressed out. The lawyers were stressed out that I was sending them spreadsheets, Excel spreadsheets, because they did not know how to fill out Excel spreadsheets. So that means the practice of law has to change, right? Yeah. Right. I mean, I was probably one of the last few lost classes that had to go and, and learn how to use the actual books. I don't think that they, I maybe, right? I remember, and I remember being very confused by the assignment of, I have to go look at the index. Like, why am I looking at the index? And then you learn, I, I'm going to bet you they don't teach you that anymore. I, I, I don't know. Not. Sure, I don't know, but I imagine. I don't know. In, in case the internet ever totally goes down, that the yeah. lawyer knows how to pull out the book and do work. Maybe I don't know, but it, I think the call to action to a lot of um, people who are in practice now, right, and are are joining the practice of law, is that you need to know how to navigate the tides. Right, there's going to be a change 
at some point. There sometimes are dramatic changes in the law, right? And there are dramatic changes in the technology. And you have to kind of adapt and even to kind of the work you do now, adapt your business development practice. It is not what it used to be 10, 15, 20 years ago. And you need to be savvy enough to kind of read the tea leaves and know where to take your business. I think it's so, yeah, it's so important. And I, I want to talk about like the, the business application of that, but just like today's associates and 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 law students, and especially tomorrow's law students, knowing the technologies that, that's out there and what's possible is incredibly important. Now, all of that might not be able to be applied within a law firm or within a legal setting, but knowing what's out there is incredibly important. And I always, when I talk to lawyers I, you know, and partners and management teams, I remind them of that fact because your competitors are going to know about it. Your clients are going to know about it. And you want, you need to stay, stay up to speed on what's available out there. I think, and I think it's so important for law students when you go back to like law school has historically prepared law students to go work in law firms. Right. And, and, you know, there's a lot of laws, a lot of law schools in, in America and, but primarily corporate focused law firms, right? Like big, big law firms. That I, that's one thing that I think will really change. And I think that I think law schools, which they've already started adapting to this, are going to be teaching more soft skills. They'll be teaching more business focused concepts. They'll teach the difference between working for an established institution to a startup versus a startup company. Right. Law students, I think, are going to have more and more opportunities. As lawyers, we often view the world, the entire legal world, as the law firm model, which I think is going to be impacted by all of this. But the one thing we know is that there's so many new players, these alternative legal service providers, these new startup companies that are pro- providing e-discovery services and maybe data analytics services. And they are, they're combining with subject matter experts within the law firms to provide legal advice and services to clients. But the future law students, I think, can land a number of different places and have a lot more opportunity, a lot more choice, I think, than yesterday's law students had. Yeah, absolutely. And and so I kind of want to go back a little bit more to the work that you do now. So can you tell us more? Obviously, you've got wise words for all sorts of people. How are you making that what you do? Yeah. So when I started with what do I really enjoy doing and what I was doing at the end there is I was trying to juggle my family life with bringing in new clients, keeping keeping in touch with old and existing clients, billing time, and then the management role. And it was just too much. It was too much for me. No way. Yeah. It was just too much <laughs> for me, too much for like for my family, everything. So too big uh, of a cliff. Yeah, exactly. I was tumbling down the cliff. (laughs) There was no diving at all. I was really down the cliff. And I came to the end of a role and there was enough break between that role and potential new roles at the last law firm. I said, what I really enjoy. And what the answer was, I really enjoyed the business of law, tackling projects, like we said, really focusing on data analytics and coming up with multiple different um, options to solve whatever issue has been presented. And that's effectively a consultant. So I talked at the end of the the last episode, I talked about like informed risk and taking these informed risks in life. 
Uh, I went out and talked to every consultant I could speak with, like a legal consultant, from large organizations down to boutiques. What did they like about it? Where did they see the, the business trending? What were their thoughts about new entrants? At the end of that, for a whole host of reasons, I decided to launch my own consulting company. So I focus, I, prefer, I, I focus on development of strategies, alignment of strategies internally, and then the execution of those strategies. Okay. So what goes into that is a real focus on performance and underperformance at, mm-hmm. the, at the enterprise level, at the office level, at the practice group level. And the way, the way I work with my clients on that is a focus on the data around what they're trying to achieve. Mm. And based upon that data, going back with potential solutions. But really importantly, what I spend a lot of time on is really getting to understand the people I'm working with, the management team, the culture of the firm, um, the culture of communication, transparency within the firm to make sure I'm coming up with solutions that aren't cookie cutter, but make sense for that organization. Um, so right now, what I'm, some of the projects I'm working on, um, I'm looking at a, a firm who's based outside of the United States. They're looking at, new, uh, at an opening in New York. So they want a New York market ex- assessment. Something that I rely on when I managed our New York, the New York office for Reed Smith. Right. And giving them feedback there. I'm working on succession issues at a founder. Wow. Yeah, at a founder-led firm where there's been no succession planning or thought. But at this point, they, they need to know either who's next to manage the firm or what other options the firm has. Um, yeah. And even in terms of diversity, right? That's a what is the world gonna look like, especially like in a metropolitan mm-hmm. city like New York, for example. What is the world going to look like in 20 years? It may not look like what they have now or the plan, whatever their plans were 30 years ago, right? Yeah, 100%. And it's one of the main reasons I started my own my own uh, consulting company is there 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 wasn't there wasn't there certainly wasn't enough diversity in the in the management consulting field. I can't speak to like greater consulting, but I was looking at a lot of the a lot of the consultants that were working with law firms. They're in, they're in need of more more diversity. So that's it was a huge that was a huge factor in stepping exactly. forward. And as someone said to me, we we love seeing you as an equity partner within a law firm helping us. But the thought of this Puerto Rican kid is what I was the thought of having a Puerto Rican kid talk to lots of other AMLO 100 firms. We said we absolutely love it, supported 100, percent which was great. So that's great. That's great. So let me ask you a little bit about the market right? It's cyclical. And so 2008 saw the big meltdown, right? The offers were being withdrawn, people were being cut hours, and then eventually let go. So some of that is happening now, right? And we're also seeing what I will call is kind of the breakups. (laughs) It's a lot of divorces happening, right? Where whole practices are disappearing or a team will disappear and lots of attempts to merge. So what can you, what would, can you describe that a little bit? And also if you're a law graduate right now or someone who's a two to three year out associate, what would you advise them? Yeah, it's, well, it's, we're in, we're in a, a very significant time of change, I'd say for the legal industry for a number of converging factors. It is, it's 
We're still in the post-COVID period where firms are, react, are, are, are reacting to coming out of that period, rebuilding budgets to look similar to the way they did pre-COVID. But they're trying to do that in a low demand environment. So there isn't as much work coming in. You've got, so they've got revenue shrinking and they've got the, now that people are doing things again, you've got expenses increasing. And really odd phenomenon with the demand decreasing, you've got the cost of talent also increasing. So it's a very, like a whole bunch of very odd dynamics at play. And that's causing the largest law firms to decide how are they going to react to that. And you don't have every single firm making layoffs because of that. Right. You have, there's some set, some percentage of law firms that decide that they've hired the right people. They like the right people and they're staffed. They like the way they're staffed for an average economy. And they're going to weather the downturns with those people, right? Just one reaction. Right. There are other firms that are managed much more public companies. So there's a fo- there's so much more focus on year and every, these are all for-profit entities. So they, they want to turn a profit every year. Right. But their quarter to quarter focus is that of a public company. So if they're seeing a bad, if they're seeing a bad quarter or bad two quarters in the past, they're seeing low demand in the future. They and then they can increase revenue at the drop of a hat. They look very quickly to expenses. And that more often than not is going to, they're looking at either support staff, whether it's business development or other, some other group of professionals um, for downsizing, associates, sometimes yeah. non equity partners. And that can, to me, that can be, it feels, it can feel very reactionary and very short term. But from the law firm's perspective, they need to make sure that at the end of the year, they have a pool of a pool of cash and compensation they can distribute to the rainmakers of the firm, the people that are bringing business to enough people to keep that together. So there's a number of tensions on either side. I think I'll talk about associates in a second, but I think that I call it the, the trend towards corporatization for these big law firms. To me, that's I think there's a lot of risks in that. There's a lot in that. Yeah, I think it erodes. I think it erodes like the true nature of the law firm as a partnership. It starts to erode collegiality. It's. I think it increases attrition, voluntary and involuntary. And I just don't think that's a great trend if firms can avoid that. From the associate perspective, a lot of those decisions are hard to. They're hard to impact as an associate, and they're hard. Certainly hard to avoid. So often you're going to be at like a whim of what happens. Um, so the, I mean, the best advice that I give, I think the best advice I have that I give is from, from day one, whatever day one is really finding your way to become as invaluable, to become invaluable to the people you're working with Uh, and to do that as really to do that as quickly as possible, understand. And that's, there's as a new associate, so that's becoming a professional and working on your professional skills before you're in that role, but as quickly as possible in that role. So you're responsive, you communicate clearly, you're asking questions or asking for help if you don't understand them. Hopefully you're getting quickly to the next step of really understanding your your assignment, understanding how to do that quickly and efficiently, 
but also to understand the related issues around that. To add, it's what law firms can do for their clients. It's what associates can do for whoever they're working for. Add value. Deal, do what was asked, but add some level of value alongside of that. Maybe it's being available. Maybe it's providing follow-up if you see something change for some based on something that you've worked on. Maybe it's maybe it's volunteering for something. It's but it's showing up and becoming invaluable. And especially for it's that's important for anyone. But it's something I stress so much for diverse associates. It is fair or not, you gotta you you have to do a step better. It just it's fair or not. And maybe I'm wrong about that. And maybe you don't have to do a step better, but by doing a step better, you've got nothing to lose. It's only gonna help you. Maybe I'm <laughs> right. wrong. And I'm happy to be right. Even if I'm wrong. Right. Right. No, and and I think with Latinos, and I'm sure we will all agree, we were told you put your head down, you work, and people will magically know that you're this magnificent person. That's not true. It's It's not not true. It's it's true in a few cases, but it's generally not true. And picking up your head and looking around and seeing what others are doing and figuring out how to network really quickly and also how to brand yourself. Yeah, I think yeah. that's something as Latinos we're we're not exposed to, right? My my dad was not branding himself. My mother wasn't branding herself. So when it came to becoming a lawyer, I was like, "What does that mean? What is branding myself? And how do I have time? Because I have to do all this work. And how do you pull yourself above that? And that's hard. But it's still, and it's along the lines. It's to me, I'm, I'm as I learn about your consulting practice, Ed. It's to me, it's no different than kind of what you were doing before, right? In many ways. Right. You're still leading, right? You're still building trust. You obviously didn't get to the positions you were in because they were insecure about the quality of your work or the type of things you were doing. You were showing up repeatedly on so many different levels. So it's interesting to me that while you kind of changed your career, I don't know. I think it's more like rebranding of Ed Estrada. (laughs) It's just, you just flipped it. You just left the context of the box and put yourself in another business case, I think, right? That's what it, that's really what it feels like. And it's the I always, there's two things that I always wanted to do. And one was I wanted to be a judge and I don't think I'm going to be a judge anymore. I always thought like that was you never know. Exactly. <laughs> but I always wanted to start my own business. And I didn't I've got the I have the energy to do that now. And I always thought I'm like, that's that would be scary and that would be time consuming. And it is. But it is so energizing to to take that leap because it's another thing I'm doing that I never thought I'd have a chance to do. And I just, I never thought I would do that. In college, I worked construction every summer. And the guys I worked with on the different crews, wherever we were, every single one of them would just say, keep studying, stay, stay, stay in school, do a good job, keep studying. And back then, looking at that, I never thought I'd be a lawyer. I never thought I'd go to law school. I never thought I'd be like a lawyer or be successful. And I never thought I'd be in a position where I felt confident enough to make the leap that I've made. So everything is blessings. I'm like, I'm grateful for everything that I have. But Diana, to your point, it feels very much, like I said before, not this massive change from what I was doing, but something that I can really draw on my past experience. That's the way it feels in doing it. That's great. Thank you. Thank you so much. Again, another podcast with a lot of 
pieces in there and hopefully people will start climbing off of cliffs. <laughs> but so I do want to, just as we do in all of the other, the all the other sessions, what's a takeaway? One minute takeaway <laughs> for anyone who's listening in terms of your move, right? And taking this chance. I think it's to to slow down enough. We're all very busy. Slow down enough to really understand what you're what you're enjoying, like what you're feeling right now, what you're enjoying, and what you want from your life. And it's mainly professionally. And figure out that path and keep returning to that question multiple times during the year. Take notes, date your notes. And when you suddenly find that you've been maybe unhappy about a certain thing for years and years professionally, act on it. Because realize you're going to, a year later, you're going to add in another entry that's saying the same thing that you've said for the last mm-hmm. three or four years. And then once you know that where you want to get to in that goal, talk to people that have done it, ask for help if you need help. Uh, but don't be afraid after finding out like the, the pros and cons and understanding what you're trying to work towards. Take that leap because that's what's that's what will be an informed risk at the end of the day. And I think it's a, a good one worth taking. And I'm happy I took mine. That's wonderful. Awesome. Well, thank you so very much. This Again, this has been great. So, so informative. And we're very excited to see where this this consulting practice takes you, because especially given the market, it seems like a lot of people are going to need your kind of help to net, especially because you've lived through the first, the most recent down cycle in 2008. You've got, I'm sure, lots of valuable insights to share with people. So thanks again, Ed, for joining us and sharing this phase of your career and even the prior phase of your career with us. We're inspired and we wish you the best of luck with your company. And thanks for all that you do for the community as you champion so many different causes. Well, this is great. And thank you both for the opportunity to, to speak to you. It's, it's been great and you're doing a great job. So thank you for Blazing Ember. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Blazing Ember podcast and our journey to empowerment. Look out for more episodes to keep your ember blazing. Visit blazingember.com where you can connect with us and share your feedback. Hasta pronto.